Welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Worldwide toll-free, 800-610-7035. Email exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And our main website, you've got it, www.exxonradiotv.com. My guest this hour is William J. Hall. He was born and raised in Bridgeport, Connecticut, where the events of the world's most haunted house took place. He watched and heard the news coverage of the Lindley Street haunting on TV when he was just 10 years old. Now, after 25 uh, years as a professional magician and a member of the Society of American Magicians Psychic Investigation Committee, our guest knows how to recognize trickery and how to create and recognize illusions. And he knows from personal experience that poltergeists exist. My guest this hour, once again, is um, the author, Bill Hall, of The World's Most Haunted House. And his website is www.worldsmosthauntedhouse.com. And Bill, welcome to the X-Zone. Thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure. Um, tell, tell me, Bill, what was it about this, this case that prompted you to write The World's Most Haunted House? It uh, primarily was due to, uh, well, first there was the uh, what intrigued me, which is the pure amount of witnesses involved mm-hmm. in this case, uh, the types and the amounts, you know, police officers, firefighters, uh, reporters, priests, neighbors, and onlookers, and uh, in great number. Uh, So that was the first part. The second part was uh, the wonderful opportunity of accessing uh, the never-before-released interviews from an investigation that was done privately after uh, this thing was announced a hoax after a few days uh, to get rid of the crowds. And uh, those uh, tapes, some 30 hours of uh, interviews, uh, was made available to me, and that really gave the information necessary to tell the story. And of course, that's when I realized this really was a story that needed to be shared. So, so I gathered from what you're saying, it, even though it was tagged as a hoax, it was not indeed a hoax. No, not at all. No, in in fact, the police actually mandated. Uh, that their officers participate in the investigations, interviews, um, after it was deemed a hoax, as well as the police also continued to provide protection for the family inside of the house also. Um, So they knew it wasn't a a hoax by any means, but the crowd was just uh, getting, you know, there's thousands Mm -hmm. of people outside the house. I mean, they even tried to burn burn it down. It's just a crazy, crazy, um, as crazy crowds will get as you know, yeah. <laughs> you know um sometimes worse than what was going on in the house and that was bad enough so they had to the family had to deal with 
the inside and the, the outside of the house. Now, now, after so many years, why investigate the, the Lindley Street story now? Well, it's funny. It just came up on uh, Facebook one day on one of the community pages, and that's what reminded me of it. Mm-hmm. I was just having coffee one morning, uh, you know, messing around on Facebook, and uh, that's when I saw the post. And then from there, it occurred to me I never really looked into it, and that's when I went on and started looking at the newspaper articles, and from there it uh, uh, it really got my attention because I, uh, I had forgotten how – many witnesses and the types of witnesses that were involved in the case. You're a professional magician. You, you, you sit on a committee that actually investigates and tries to debunk claims of the paranormal. Did your fellow magicians help you in this case, or was this a solo effort by you? Uh, this was a solo effort uh, by myself. Uh, I am surprised that, because, uh, you know, I, I was a little worried about that. You know, how would I look mm-hmm. to this, <laughs> all the many magicians that I know? And uh, they were actually quite supportive. I, I was amazed to see how open-minded they were, given uh, what we normally think of when we think of a magician. We think of a skeptic, an unbeliever. Right. Although Houdini was very much... Um, open-minded, you know, definitely demanded proof, rightfully so, but uh, was always open to that possibility and and actively sought it out. So uh, I was quite surprised Mm -hmm. and um, very happy that uh, people that I knew really embraced it and instead said, well, if Bill says this thing's true, you know, I want to look into it. I want to read the proof. I want to see it because... You know, we know he's going to give this higher level of uh, of scrutiny to it. Bill, stand by. You and I have to take our first commercial break. We'll be back in two minutes. Exonation. Bill Hall is our special guest. He's the author of The World's Most Haunted House, www.worldsmosthauntedhouse.com. And Bill Hall and I will be back on the other side of this two-minute break. Don't go away. Bill Hall is my guest, ExoNation. He's the author of The World's Most Haunted House, www.worldsmosthauntedhouse.com. Bill, take us back to that strange November back in 1974. Well, what, uh, what happened with the family, and it was a tiny little house right in the middle of the city, uh, 738 square feet, very, mm-hmm. very small house right near the hospital. Uh, didn't even look like qualified to be a haunted house. And it was a mother and father, uh, Laura and Jerry, and uh, they were middle-aged, and they had an adopted daughter, Marcia, who was 10. And in 1971, they began hearing uh, banging sounds on the inside and outsides of the wall, and these sounds would actually follow uh, the mother and daughter around the house. Um, and these w- was on and off every November. Mm-hmm. So 1971, 72, 73, and 74. And in 72, they called the, the, the police and uh, was trying to get somebody to figure out what the sounds were. They didn't think they were supernatural uh, at all. They just didn't even cross their mind. They just 
wanted the stupid sounds to stop. Sure. Uh, but it really culminated in uh, 74 when they started hearing those sounds again. And uh, they came home from a trip uh, from New York and found a TV uh, down in uh, Marcy's room, uh, the little girl. The TV down. What yeah. you- and from there, just things started going wild with cable in the kitchen flipping and the TV falling over and breaking the mother's toe hmm. and uh, dishes flying and uh, these heavy recliners opening and closing by themselves. So it really got uh, uh, crazy for them. Uh, and things settled down until the next morning, and then it just got much worse, and uh, that's when uh, it, it expanded to the police and firemen and priests, etc. How did the media get a hold of the story? What was so special about it? Uh, you know, it, it was a combination of the witnesses. So uh, as the police showed up, of course, as people see police cars, and mm-hmm. there was uh, 12 firemen that, sh- that showed up to the house. There was uh, about 16 police officers. So there was a, a, a whole bunch of these people going in and out of the house. And uh, as this was happening and people were seeing their expressions and naturally Mm -hmm. with that many people, eventually the word starts spreading out and people start gathering and neighbors talking. And then it just uh, expanded from there uh, until finally, of course, you know, the press got hold of it. And then it it went finally went Associated Press. And that's when it went around the world. But. So tell, tell me, were there, were there any photos taken of any of the paranormal activity? Uh, not of the uh, activity, no. Uh, there were reporters in there that had uh, cameras mm-hmm. that witnessed phenomena, but uh, they really were overtaken in the moment because uh, the reporters often when they went in there, you know, before they went in there, they had one mindset, this mm-hmm. is going to be fun, I'm going to this haunted house, you know, this will be silly, you know. Uh, and then when they got in, they realized this was the real thing, and it was serious, and the family was suffering. And uh, I talked to um, John Sopko, for example, who was with the Bridgeport newspaper at the time, and he saw dishes uh, uh, flying in the kitchen. And, you know, I asked him, did you have a camera and stuff. So, oh, yeah, you know, right around me. He said, well, you saw this happen. And I said, I couldn't even move. I didn't pick up a camera or anything. And you heard that from uh, the press that mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and radio people, you know, radio personalities went in there with their microphones and whatnot and ended up uh, never taking the microphones out. Don't you find uh, that so, strange? I, as, as a member of the media and a former law enforcement officer myself, I find that rather strange that you've got all these cops, all these reporters, all these media guys, and nobody got a sound bite? Nobody got a photo? That makes well, no sense sound, to me. Yeah, I mean, sound bites, uh, they, they did get. They, they did get interviews and uh, later on. But nothing uh, with the, the entities, event. nothing pertaining to the paranormal activity. Not right, right. Well, when the reporter there was there was that one incident when the reporter witnessed it. Other times, uh, reporters either were not let into the house, mm-hmm. or if they were, there may not have been something going on at that particular time. So, uh, the only time the family really let the press in was uh, when they knew 
a station because they watched it or they were fans of the mm-hmm. you know the particular thing going on, and they their, their message was basically just to tell people we're not crazy because this, this thing, of course, had gotten out to the public. Yeah. Other than that, um, you know, the Warrens of the famous Conjuring, yeah. well, now now famous because of the Conjuring and, and more locally famous for years uh, in my neck of the woods. Uh, they, I'm sure, wanted to set up cameras and whatnot, but the family wasn't into, I mean, the family wasn't concerned with proving phenomena. You know, they, they were going through this and wanted it to stop, and, and uh, uh, they weren't interested in uh, publicity or, or any of, uh, or making money on it. Anything well, if like that. they weren't interested in publicity, why would they let the media in? Uh, they did on some selective uh, moments just to prove that they weren't uh, crazy because word was already out. So they already had crowds forming outside the house. And so there were there were a few times that they did. And they gave one final interview after uh, it was uh, mm-hmm. you know, announced the hoax just to kind of clear the family name. And then they never spoke about it again for the rest of their lives. So where was the church involved? Yeah, yeah. The, when the police, uh, when an off-duty officer and friend came over uh, originally to help the family, mm-hmm. uh, he didn't know what to do when he saw phenomena, so he called for backup, and more police came. They didn't know what to do, so they called the firemen. Firemen came, didn't know what to do, and they ended up calling uh, the uh, department chaplain, and that's when uh, uh, priest showed up. Uh, also, the uh, the Warrens uh, brought a, uh, a priest with them, also, um, who actually saw the entities. And uh, this guy, Father Charbonneau, nobody really knew how he <laughs> how he kept his standing in the in the uh, as a priest because he really talked openly about this everywhere he went. But um, so so yes, they were involved to you know support the family mainly. Mm. There was an attempt to get uh, an exorcism done, but a, this thing got so public that uh, I'm sure the uh, you know the church didn't want to touch it at all. How about what do we know about the people, uh, the 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 residents of the house? Uh, who were they? Where did they come from? What kind of jobs did they do? Was there any psychological buildup done on them? Yes, there actually was psychological tests done on them by the investigators, but they were uh, just good people, incredible integrity, uh, mm-hmm. salt-of-the-earth people. Jerry was an altar boy and a scout leader, and he had no children. He was uh, a maintenance man, just you know, hard-working, right. salt-of-the-earth kind of family. Laura was a stay-at-home uh, housewife. Mm-hmm. They adopted uh, Marcy, so the buildup involved... Uh, they had a very young uh, son, died age six, had cerebral palsy, couldn't oh, walk gosh. or talk or do anything himself. Mm-hmm. And when they got Marcy, they basically were parenting her in the same way. So she was, uh, and they adopted her from your neck of the woods, Ontario, Canada. Mm-hmm. And she was a Five Nations Indian, and she was very shy and introverted and frustrated and, you know, taken from her home, you know, given up for adoption. Sure. And, um, so the the family was overbearing and worried about her dying and, you know, because of what they experienced with their other son. And then she was picked on at school till finally she was picked on for about a year. 
and uh, well, she was a year at the school and she was picked on pretty consistently. And then she was beat up in the cafeteria and now stuck home for six weeks with uh, the mother. Uh, so this was kind of the whole build up to when it really exploded. Uh, so it had that typical poltergeist yeah. uh, family you know, environment with the little girl. Sounds like she was the agent. Or the target of the poltergeist, or the, or the or the catalyst of the poltergeist. Right, right. Well said, because we don't <laughs> we don't really know, but all those things mm-hmm. we definitely do know that she was you know was centered around her, um, you know, her frustration yeah. and everything. Prior um, prior to this event, or with anyone who had previously lived in the house, was there any paranormal activity? No, none before, none after. After it was uh, completely focused on the family, and it actually began very slowly mm-hmm. after Marcy was adopted. So it definitely coincided yeah. with uh, Marcy uh, being in the home, uh, and and I mean small things like you know chair in the wrong place, that sort of thing. Right. Uh, more of simmering, uh, except for the sounds which began in '71. But other than that, there was this other stuff that. Kind of Jerry, in fact, told a friend, you know, he didn't know if he was going crazy or what, but, you know, it started occurring to him something was off. Since um, the little one was a member of the First Nations, did anyone bring in a shaman? No, no. Uh, no, that was not done. Hmm. So the, 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 the parents of the young girl... They themselves did not take any photographs. Uh, was there any automa- automatic writing that, that was being done by either Marcy or the parents? Um, were there any scrawlings on mirrors, on walls? Uh, was there any any raised skin on anybody in the house that would give a message? Uh, nothing of that nature. Mm-hmm. There were you know, there was audio phenomena. Um, Many people said the cat talked, which I don't believe the cat, quote-unquote, talked. Right. But there was audio phenomena surrounding that. And, you know, people, of course, blame whatever's nearby. And, sure. Uh, the police officers complained the swans, the decorative swans on the porch were making guttural sounds. And there was footsteps and bangings on the wall mm-hmm. um, and entities that appeared in uh, in three different forms. Uh, one is like a black shadowy kind of cardboardy figure. Uh, other is a, a set of four gauzy kind of entities uh, that almost acted like in a pack. And um, and then the billowing smoke, you know, is as common in, in sure. uh, possession and, and things. And, you know, these things uh, on a few occasions through Marcy, you know, one time a cheer actually levitated up. Okay, you, you and I have to take our news break. Uh, please stand oh. by, Bill. Great having you with us. Exonation, uh, William J. Hall is our guest. He's the author of The World's Most Haunted House, and his uh, the website is www.worldsmosthauntedhouse.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news from here in the Exxon, from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. William J. Hall is our special guest. He's the author of The World's Most Haunted House, 
www.worldsmosthauntedhouse.com. Now, just getting back to the young girl, who I believe her name is Marcy? Yes. Um, what, what makes the people believe that she was possessed? Um, no, nobody believed that she okay. was uh, possessed. Now, the smoke I was mentioning, uh, the billowing smoke, right. uh, was a point where it filled the house. And, and, and I meant it was similar to what uh, some people say is involved in some possession cases. Uh, or, but, uh, was, you know, but didn't you mention something about uh, uh, an exorcism? Uh, just that the the uh, the initial priest that showed up uh, said he was going to call and try to arrange for one, uh, but that never happened because uh, the story broke and went around the world, and then uh, the Catholic Church uh, uh, really didn't want to get involved well, at that point. I, I can understand that, especially since the, there was no one who was possessed. What would he exercise? Well, there there was yeah they didn't even get to that part, yeah. but that also that also is why. Um, uh, the, the investigators and the priests didn't didn't push farther on it because they did believe that it was uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know your poltergeist kind of thing. So that's a good point too. Yeah. That's another reason. But initially, uh, they were making the call for it, but the you know the Catholic Church says we don't we don't have enough proof. And of course, then it, it went uh, public to such a degree that I doubt they would really want to get involved, even if there was that cause. Mm-hmm. But well. Ed, Ed and Lorraine um, came down with a priest. What was the what was the object of bringing the priest down with the Warrens? Uh, Father Charbonneau had did a number of investigations with them, and um, so they just brought him uh, with them for house blessing. And you know he 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 often accompanied them. So he was one of the priests that they worked with. Was was the family um, a religious family? Did they go to church? Were they Catholics? Yeah, they were. They were very religious, mm-hmm. uh, more of the old school, you know, right. based on fear rather than love. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, they were very religious. A lot of crosses in the in the in the place, and uh, uh, definitely a very religious family. So, what happened? Uh, how did the how did how did everything return to normal? You know, how did the who got rid of the the entity or the entities? Well, the uh, the investigators that came in, uh, two from Duke University, and mm-hmm. and one was uh, uh, Boyce Beatty who did the main invest investigation. Um, the way it ended was uh, they said, "Look, we get, you got to get Marcy back to school into a routine." Mm-hmm. And uh, so she wasn't going to go back to the school where she was beat up. The parents weren't going to have any of that. And that was a rougher public school. Uh, so they ended up getting together with uh, the original priest that was called, who was connected with the school. And uh, they arranged for uh, Marcy to uh, to go to the Catholic school there. Uh, and she got back to school, got mm-hmm. in a routine, was much happier there, and things settled down. And that's, uh, you know, and that ended up uh, resolving it. So in your opinion, as, as, a, as an investigator and as well as a professional magician, would this, this experience of the hauntings of this house be further evidence that hauntings have nothing to do with the paranormal at all, but it's manifested by a person 
as uh, Dr. Hans Holzer, uh, who, in my opinion, was one of the greatest parapsychologists that ever walked on this planet, who's uh, departed now, uh, as he described a poltergeist uh, where it is manifested by a person and has nothing to do with the supernatural. Um, I can give you my, my opinion. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm not going to uh, argue if somebody has a different opinion because, sure. of course, it is just an opinion. I'm just happy that we're talking about it. Matter of fact, in the book, I put forth uh, you know a few of the theories that uh, the investigators uh, and you know witnesses would have. Mm-hmm. But the best explanation I heard was by Paulino, who was a 21 year old seminarian uh, at the Lindley Street uh, case. He was a witness to it. And what changed his mind was he felt a bone structure in the entity when uh, he had kind of a pushing match with it while he was trying to protect Marcy behind him. And he felt like a bird-like bone structure. Mm -hmm. And it occurred to him that these things appeared more like, uh, you know, living entities rather than, quote-unquote, spirits or demons or anything of that nature. Um, And that's when... uh, he started doing research into the the, uh, the multiverse uh, theories, uh, theory of a, a you know parallel universe intersecting, kind of that door opening kind of thing where entities come out. And, and one of the kind of I guess indicators would be you have that family circumstance, you have some sort of usually water like a you know lake or a river. In the case of uh, Lindley Street, there actually was an underground spring mm-hmm. uh, running under the house. Um, so to me, the, the multiverse theory seemed to be, uh, you know, again, that could be completely off, too. There's so much we don't know. And there's a lot of different multiverse theories. A lot of physicists do agree that mm-hmm. there's multiple universes. But how many and what it means and, you know, how it really plays out is is a question. Uh, I find... I kind of found it hard to uh, say it was the uh, the RSPK, you know, the psychokinesis uh, yeah. approach. Only, you know, a lot of this stuff happened when Marcy was not in the house, um, and uh, you know, we had entities involved, well, and there were other houses that were affected with uh, different kinds of entities in the, in the neighborhood. So. And often these things even have UFO sightings. I mean, Lindley Street didn't. But so because of all this, it, to me, it seemed like um, it was the paranormal was much more linked than uh, than separate. If that makes any sense, you know, as far as cryptids and UFOs. Yeah, and, and, no, I know. I think there's way too much going on here to be an actual paranormal event. For example, I've never, ever heard of a haunting with cryptids and 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 UFOs before. And I've been doing this for 23 years. I've never heard of this. Well, there's the uh, Skinwalker case in Utah um, that had all of that. And actually, there's one right in Connecticut that I'm investigating now that has, has, has it all. It even has the government moving into trying to figure out, you know, uh, what's going on? I but don't know. Maybe the, they're trying to harness some sort of energy or something. I don't know. But it's had the UFOs and uh, uh, as well as the, the other things. It, it seems that that when you have too much going on, it takes away from the credibility of what it could be. Now, I the fact that uh, the little little girl was was seems to be the 
the agent or the the reason for the poltergeist, in my opinion, would tend me to believe mm-hmm. that this was strictly a you know self manifestation of, of a poltergeist. The fact that the the young seminary touched or claims to have touched once again claims to have touched this entity the fact that there are no there's no photographic evidence whatsoever where you had so many members of the media and so many members of law enforcement there that makes no sense to me no sense at all the fact yeah, that I'm, they would not allow the Lorraines, uh, I'm sorry, the Warrens, to set up cameras is a big red flag. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if, uh, well, it's definitely not a, a hoax. I mean, we have police reports and, and uh, you know, over 100 witnesses. I mean, uh, even one of the police officers had uh, silently um, went into Marcy's room mm-hmm. and uh, said to himself, you know, if you're here, make yourself known. And uh, and there was a phenomena that happened as a result. But who and else said, saw? Th- but who else saw this happen? I mean, when the officer went into the room, and you know, he said to himself, that, hey, that, "Yeah, that was a self test." But there was a house full of people that saw the billowing smoke. There was multiple people that saw the uh, you know the, the entities, and and of course, the phenomena happened in the house. Yeah. In fact, the, the you know the police saw the phenomena happening in all three rooms at the same time. Uh, as well as seeing the phenomena happen while Marcy was not, you know, in the house. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of things happening. Of course, you know, if it was today, we'd have all sorts of photos and videos and everything with, uh, you know, with cell phones. But uh, but not even that. And then if this event is bringing so many people and it has so much activity and you've got hundreds of witnesses or a hundred witnesses and still... The law enforcement agency is there. You've got the media there, and still no one has any physical evidence. I, I should say photographic evidence. That makes no sense. Yeah. I, you know, I I wouldn't uh, doubt it if somebody mm-hmm. somewhere has a, a photo. Uh, but, uh, you know, certainly wasn't anything that was released in the papers. I mean, you know, the news was there. It was on yeah. the news and you know, everything of that nature. But, um but yeah, you know. Once once again, you know, uh, you were saying earlier that uh, the superintendent uh, believed that it was all it was all faked. That the ten year old Marcy faked it all. Why would the superintendent say this if it wasn't true? Uh, well, the crowds had gotten to such an enormous number. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the three guys even tried to burn the house down while the family was in it. I mean, there was just, they knew the crowds were, they had to close the road down. They had paddy wagons there. The traffic was backed up in all directions. It was uh, using up police resources to boot. So it was a, a very dangerous situation. And it, not to mention making the sure. superintendent look bad. But, uh, but I mean, but we have proof that, uh, you know, we know for, there's plenty of witnesses, um, to, well, for one, that there was this mandatory investigation of, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, eight hours on a reel to reel of police officers in the conference room after it all took place in order to help the family, as well as, uh, Captain Fabrizi, who was, was one of the people who vocally, uh, you know, announced it was a hoax, was one of the people who mandated the interviews and was, uh, 
actually on the tape saying, you know, when he finds found out that he needed somebody else on the on the street and the and the guy was given an officer was given an interview and he found out he was given an interview, he says, No, don't disturb him, this is more important. Mm-hmm. And this was after it was announced it was a hoax. So I mean uh, you know, they definitely knew, but uh, the crowd was a very dangerous situation. So if the crowd was a dangerous situation, why didn't they just move the family to an undisclosed location? Um, you know, what happened was the, the next day they closed off the uh, the roads with uh, barricades mm-hmm. and you had to show your license to get onto the street. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did do that, but... Uh, uh, it, it still was very bad. Yeah, See, it was between the, between the press and and the people coming and the traffic. Uh, you know, the superintendent. It was driving them. It was driving them crazy. Well, sure, and this is why I say law enforcement tra- crowd control dictates that if you've got a situation where a location is causing a lot of problems, it's not a crime scene. Nobody's gotten killed. Get the people out of there. Put them into an undisclosed situation. Diffuse the situation. Like that's um, I, that's I basic know, law enforcement one one. I mean, I don't know police protocol. I can just tell you what happened. You know, back in seventy four. Yeah. I mean, they they basically had police there. Uh, you know, for crowd control, and then ended up uh, barricading the uh, you know the street. Um, yeah, they had dogs and paddy wagons and things yeah. like that, but uh, but no, they didn't uh, they didn't take the family and and uh, out of the situation or anything like that. Was the uh, was the young girl seen by a doctor? Yeah, when they announced that it was a hoax, uh, they they said the family agreed to take her to, and they took her to one visit to a, a psychiatrist. Uh, as part of the, um, you know, as part of that uh, coming to an end. And then they went on the radio, of course, to, you know, dispute it and say that, uh, you know, that was said for the crowds, and, and that was the last interview they gave. If any, what uh, what type of um, phenomenon was caught on tape? Were there, was there phenomenon caught on tape? No, there was no videos or pictures in this case. There was just uh, over 100 witnesses and um, about 16 police officers, firefighters. You know, again, the, the credibi- to me, the credibility and the number of the witnesses, I prefer any day over a photo or anything like that. You see, that, that's, where I, as, you know. that, that's where I differ. Because if you've got the photo, you've got tangible evidence. Here, so far, you've got hearsay. You've got hearsay. You have tons of witnesses, enough witnesses to put away anybody in a court of law. I mean, the, the, the proof of Lindley Street is more proof than you have of most of the things you believe in. I mean... But once know, again, this, once again, looking at, it, looking at it logically, looking at it logically, putting, away this, putting aside the sensationalistic aspect of it, the fact that you've got the firemen there, you've got 16 cops there, you've got all the media coming down, something is getting sensationalized, and you've got all these people here... Don't don't tell me that a community like uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut, doesn't have a an investigation unit, and every investigator I know carries a camera with him. Back then, it would have been a film camera. They, you know, something just doesn't ring right. Well, they announced it was a hoax, but they weren't interested in investigating. They knew what the truth was. What was the um, truth? 
but there's 40 hours of interviews, uh, Rob. I mean, you're talking about from what the public or the newspaper sees. I mean, I'm a magician. Trust mm-hmm. me, I'm more skeptic than, than anybody would have been. Uh, but there's 40 hours of interviews on this. So I mean, you've got you've got more than half of the police force on here. You and I have to take our final break. Please stand by, Bill. William J. Hall is the author of The World's Most Haunted House. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break. Don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. William Hall is our special guest. He's the author of The World's Most Haunted House, www.worldsmosthauntedhouse.com. Before we went to the break, you were just starting to tell me about 40 hours worth of tape. Uh, Now, these interviews, were they done after the case or during the case? They were done after it was announced uh, a hoax. Boyce Beatty heard... uh, the story on the news and uh, he realized it sounded like a legitimate poltergeist case and he had contacted the family and asked them if um, you know they wanted some help and uh, that's when he called Duke University and mm-hmm. he actually was trying to get Bill Roll uh, was supposed to be there but he was in England at the time and he sent uh, Jerry Sulfan and Keith Harari uh, down from Duke University and the three of them uh, did the uh, interviews and then I did about 10 hours or so uh, of interviews mm-hmm. myself with new witnesses as well as uh, some of the witnesses from 74 that are still with us, many, of course, of which are, are deceased now and, and luckily were taped, you know, at the time in 74. All right, so you've got the cops saying that this was faked on one side. On the other side, they did they say publicly or to anybody that they believed that this was really a paranormal event? Oh, yeah, I mean... Uh, a lot of the police spoke up in the newspaper. It wasn't, uh, you have to remember, it wasn't the police that said it was faked. It was uh, the inspector and the captain and the superintendent. Well, aren't they police? Well, in other words, those were the ones who had to announce this thing as a hoax. The officers that were at the house, I mean, they saw the phenomena. Um, you know, the superintendent never stepped in the house. They, they needed, to, <clears throat> they gave to Inspector Clark. Mm-hmm. Inspector Clark, who was given the case late in the, the game, was told to uh, uh, to shut it down, and the the officers knew that. And uh, the officers I spoke to weren't you know weren't too happy about you know the being sold out, so to speak. But of course, they understood with the crowds, and the, you know they had to get this thing uh, uh, shut down. Yeah. Interesting, truly interesting. Um... So, so what was the conclusion? It uh, was uh, little Marcy went to see, was changed schools, and did the family remain in that house? And was there any any uh, residue paranormal activity in the house after all this was over? Um, not that we know of as far as uh, residue. The, mm-hmm. uh, the Goodens tried to sell the house and uh, couldn't. They really wanted to get out of town either way because... Uh, 
there was a lot of uh, vandalism and you know ridicule sure. uh, with, with Jerry at work as as a, a aftermath of this. So uh, regardless of phenomena ended or not, they wanted to get out of that you know area. But they couldn't sell the house, and the phenomena had ended. So they ended up painting the house and get, getting rid of the swans. So hopefully, people couldn't uh, couldn't find the house. Of course, instead, it ended up being the newspaper that, <laughs> oh look, they changed the look of the house. But uh, uh, and then uh, the Goodens just wouldn't. You know, they gave that one last interview to say, you know, uh, you know, I, I wish they, as Jerry said, I wish they blamed me and not Marcy because. You know, they wanted to clear her name, and then uh, and then that was the end of it. Wow! Uh, as far as they're talking, you know, they wouldn't talk about it. So. Hey, Bill, our time is up. I want to thank you so much for joining us, um, Exonation Bill. I should say William Hall is our guest this hour. He's the author of the world's most haunted house. Happened in 1974 in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Wow. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Are you a believer or are you a skeptic? Send me your mail, X-Zone at XZoneRadioTV.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break, as I said, as we continue here in the X-Zone. Don't go away. <laughs> 